0: Anytime God can take a mistake that we made in our life and give us the opportunity to use that to change people's lives, like, that's the gospel living and breathing. It was in 11th grade, when I was 17 years old, I was making decisions that were taking me in a bad direction because in the past, I had found my identity in athletics and I lost that. So, When I stopped playing sports, I kinda like lost that group of friends and I was doing everything I could to build new friend groups and that was partly making all these people happy and doing whatever it was that I thought was gonna get me acceptance and love from these people. And when a friend came to me and said, can you get me a gun, I said yes to that. I didn't think it was gonna turn out the way it did, uh, but it did and I provided the weapon that ended up Causing the death of a person and because of that I received a 20-year sentence in prison The hardest thing when you're that age 17 years old and you've just been told you're gonna be in prison longer than you've been alive I just I didn't even know how to process it because to me at that point my life was over It was my first week in the in the county jail is when I was invited by a group of guys to go to church and I didn't want to go. And the only reason I went is because they told me they were going to be giving out free donuts. When the volunteer had preached on the love of God, the forgiveness of God, uh, the freedom in Christ, these were all things that I had never heard before growing up, I had never heard the gospel like that before and there was something in me that said I want to be a part of that. So at the end, when he gave an altar call and said, who wants to give their heart to the Lord? I raised my hand and said, "Yep, I do. And even though I given my heart to the Lord and prayed, God, forgive me for this, I don't know if in my heart of hearts I believed really that I was forgiven. You know, everything, I just, I felt all that, like all that guilt and shame and everything weighed on me. I had given my heart to the Lord, but I was not walking in faith. When I was in prison and I was in for like eight years, I saw these guys around me who had been in prison a lot longer than I had been and they were going to get out way after I had gotten out. But they were living with hope and they were living with peace, they were living with joy. And I said, I want that. Like, I want what they have. And so I started to talk to them and realize the change in their life was the faith in Jesus they had that actually caused them to live their life in a different way. And so I just started to to learn from them and started to live out my faith. When I opened myself up to the light of Christ, that's when true freedom came. After some years of doing that, I realized that now there were younger guys who were in the position I was in years ago who were now following me. I was able to get blessed with opportunities in prison to be able to preach, uh, to be able to teach, to be able to lead worship, um, to be able to start churches that started as simple couple guys reading a Bible to 10, 12 guys coming every Sunday. Like these things, God just birthed those out of me being faithful every single day to just waking up, answering the call, picking up the cross, following after Jesus. I've experienced spiritual freedom in my life while I was in prison. And now being released, it's like my physical state finally matches what my spiritual state has been like that whole time. Met the love of my life. I'm getting married in May. I'm working here at Westwood Church. I get to reconnect with my family, reconnect with friends and build all of these new relationships uh, that you know God has put these incredible people into my life. So whatever opportunity that comes my way here now on these side of the walls, whether it's to speak to high school kids on a Wednesday night, to whether it's eventually being able to go back into prisons again and share my story in there with those guys, whatever that opportunity is, I'm just available to whatever that call God has on my life.
1: Woo! That is, a story of life transformation. And I had the privilege to visit Matt many times while he was in prison. And I never left without my faith being enriched, encouraged by um, his given story. And we're glad to have him on our team. He's a blessing to all of us here. But you have to wonder, how do you go from being an accomplice to a murder, to an ambassador for God's love? And I'm so glad that from the vantage point of God's eyes and what He sees all of us are welcome, and nobody's perfect, and anything is possible with the risen Christ. It's the power of the risen Christ that moved Matt from unbelief to belief, from being an accomplice in a murder to becoming an ambassador of God's love. And that is the risen power that brings us together this Easter. So I welcome you, if you're online, if you're at Bush Lake or West Tonka, or in the Woodside Room, or if you're a guest here, we're just delighted to have you as we worship the risen Lord on this Easter Sunday. I'm not gonna surprise you, but the name of my message Resurrection, that's what I'm gonna talk about today. (laughs) If you had any other expectation, that's what it is. And it's such a powerful message because Jesus is not dead, he is alive. He did not stay down, he rose from the dead. The dead, the dreaded, D word, death. And it's really interesting when you think that many of the saddest words in our English language start with the letter D. Disappointment, discouragement, disillusionment detachment, despair, defeat, depression, um, devastation, disease, and of course, that dreaded D word, death itself. And a month ago, when Coach Bud Grant um, died, I I was taken back, the Minnesota Vikings um, former coach, I think because in my youth, I just had a growing bond of affection with the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. I respected him very much, and I found myself becoming a follower of the Minnesota Vikings on most seasons. I'm really glad about that. (laughs) I love the team on so many fronts, but here's the reality. When I heard about it, I had an immediate, a trigger point, a memory that came to me around another D word. Desperate. Let me explain. A few um, years ago, I had the opportunity, I was given the invitation to give the invocation for a charity event with FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I said yes to that invitation, one, because at 14 years of age, I attended an FCA camp and I understood the gospel for the first time. So I love what they do all across our nation. But also, Tony Dungy was the keynote speaker at that charity event, and he was the former defensive coach for the Minnesota Vikings when Bud Grant was coaching, but as well, he was, as you may probably know him more, as the head coach for the Baltimore Colts who went on to win the Super Bowl. And at this charity event, he said that the best speech I ever gave as a coach in my career happened on the way to the Super Bowl. They are playing the New England Patriots, and... uh, If they win the game, they go to the Super Bowl. If they lose the game, they go home. At halftime, the score was 21 to 3, Vikings 3. And it was, as he looked at the scoreboard going into the locker room, a desperate situation. He goes, what am I going to say to the guys? And then he thought instantly, well, what would Coach Bud Grant say to the guys? And he knew immediately what he would say. He came into the locker room, he gathered the guys together, and he said, men, we're in a desperate situation. We're down 21 to three. If you continue to play this way, we're going to lose the game, period. That was it. That's, that's Coach Bud Grant. I mean, that's what he did. He wasn't a rah-rah guy. He said, this is the reality, step into it. And wow, what a, what a reality it was. They would go on to beat the New England Patriots, and they would set a record. Um, and that, that win because it was historic. That would be the, the largest comeback in a conference title game in NFL history up until that point. In the post-game interview, which was broadcast around the world, Tony Dungy said something quite compelling. He said, I want to praise Jesus Christ for my life and for the win. At the charity event, he went on to say that, my purpose in life is to glorify God And honestly, friends, I don't think you can have a greater purpose in life so simple to say, I exist to glorify God. And so we find that Tony Dungy believes that Jesus Christ is not dead, but he is alive. And I think that is the question when we gather together for Easter. What do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross and three days later God raised him from the dead and that he is alive today? Do you believe it to be true? And then do you live it to be true? Recently, Carrie and I just uh, had the opportunity to hike a a mountain trail. And we got to the foot of the mountain. And there was um, a a marquee that was there that said, you are here. And it was really helpful and clarifying because you could go this direction or that direction with different implications for both. And as we were making that hike and, and over the next couple of days, I kept thinking about that sign. And I go, that really is... Um, likened to life, that we are all on a faith trail of some sort, and we're making decisions on the path that we take, the trail we take. It could be a trail of unbelief or a trail of belief. And I thought to myself, that's that's what I wanna do for Easter. I created a very simple faith trail for you. I want to put it up on the screen. It's a straight line. That's as creative as I could get. Okay, that's our faith trail. And I'm I'm just going to ask you the question because in the marquee of your life, is there a better day just to think about what that marquee of your life states? You are here. Where are you? I'd like to invite you to give yourself a number. Where are you on your faith trail number or, or that continuum? And I think it's clear that At the trailhead, your view of the resurrection decides the direction that you're going to go. So if you are just absolutely convinced that the resurrection did not happen, that Jesus is still dead, you'd give yourself a one. If you're absolutely convinced that it did happen, that Jesus is alive, he did rise from the dead, give yourself a ten. If you're somewhere in between, give yourself a five. Maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. But it's a journey for most of us. And so if you're less than five, you may want it to be true but are skeptical that it's true. If it's above a five, you may want it to be true and are searching for it to be true. And that's the invitation I wanna give to you this Easter is would you on this day, before you leave these doors or even your homes today for Easter celebrations, would you take a step on the faith trail of your life and move it forward to deeper and greater belief wherever you might be. In fact, I wanna go back to the trailhead of the first Easter. Where do you think or what trail do you think that the disciples took on that first Easter after the crucifixion of Christ? Was it one of disbelief or belief? And it's a little surprising. We've got to have a grace leash here because they found themselves in a desperate situation. Uh, you know, anytime we, we lose a loved one, and many of you have, you've lost a mom or dad, a grandma, or grandpa, or somebody. I mean, it's devastating. It, it, it's something we feel deeply. But the way that Jesus Christ was murdered so gruesomely left those first followers devastated by the cruelty of it all, but also disheartened by their unmet expectations. They didn't see it ending this way. And I think about that for all of us in life. Isn't it true that we're just always adjusting expectations in a high expectation world? We have these expectations for our life, for the people in our lives somewhere up here, and reality kind of lands here, and we live with this gap of disappointment, and we're adjusting expectations. They did not expect it to end this way. But I want you to know, on that trail, their trail begins with discouragement and disbelief across the board. I'm gonna let the scripture just share it with you. I'm gonna pull a few of the stories from um, the the Gospels on that Easter, and I'm gonna give a D word to each of the stories that I give. I wanna start with Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, if you recall, the D word I'm giving to her, by the way, is distress. She was just distressed by everything that was unfolding. She was the woman that people really didn't want to hang around much with. She was an outsider because she had so many issues she was hard to be with. And Jesus comes and cleanses her from seven demons that were oppressing her. And she's set free and she is... Totally undone by the power of this Jesus and she is loyal to him. She stays close to him and when all the other disciples, they hid for their lives they were in fear, she does the opposite. She stays as close as she can through the arraignment and the trial and the beatings and the spitting and the suffering and the cross and even the burial. It's Mary Magdalene who is the first to go to the tomb on that Easter morning and she goes in the dark, she goes alone and when she arrives, the stone is rolled away and she is distressed. Where's Jesus? She runs to Peter, the disciple, the friend of Jesus, and says, Somebody has stolen Jesus from the tomb and we don't know where he is. She's completely distressed. She goes back to the tomb the second time and Jesus is there, but she doesn't know that it's Jesus. And this is what John says He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him. And I will get him. And so you see that Mary's faith trail begins with disbelief. That Jesus is dead. He must have been taken. Somebody took him from the tomb. He is not alive. you got to give her a solid one. And that faith trail journey that she's on. Let me take you to the story of Cleopas. Less known to you, but Cleopas has a D word that's assigned to him even from the scriptures, downcast. Uh, refresh your memory around Cleopas. Cleopas was um, the guy when everybody else went hiding in Jerusalem, fear for, fearing for their lives. He says, I've had enough. He leaves Jerusalem, he says, I'm going home. And he begins that track on the Emmaus Road. So you might remember the Emmaus Road that De- uh, Cleopas and a friend, another Christ follower, are walking you can almost hear their conversation oh we had hoped that he was the one to set Israel free we had such high hopes for our future and now they're completely dashed may I just say something about human hope it's amazing isn't it how fragile it is that when your hope starts to wither away it's hard to revive it even when hope stares you in the face, and that's exactly what Cleopas is facing, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. And they come back to Jesus and say, have you not heard of the events that have taken place um, in Jerusalem? I mean, they're they're dumbfounded that he isn't in tune with it. So Cleopas' faith trail begins with disbelief that Jesus is dead, he is not alive. And you have to give him a solid one on that faith trail. And then you go to the disciple that you're probably more familiar with, Peter, Peter, I've given the D word, you could guess, denier. If you remember, in the upper room around the Lord's table where he would institute the communion experience, the Lord's Supper that we still celebrate today, there's a very intimate conversation between Jesus and Peter, and Jesus says, Peter, you're gonna deny me three times. Peter, I'm not gonna deny you, I love you. Even if I have to die, I will not deny you. But he hears the rumor of the tomb being empty and this is how he responds. Peter got up and he ran to the tomb. You just sense the urgency. Bending over he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. And so Peter's faith trail begins with disbelief that Jesus is dead, that he's not alive but you gotta give him a five at least because he's wanting it to be true and he's searching for it to be true or you keep moving through the gospel stories and you come around the larger group of the 11 disciples and the friends of Jesus were all hiding in fear um, in a room somewhere in Jerusalem after his crucifixion. And their response um, to this, you'd think, I'm I'm surprised, there's not a 10 in the group, there's not even a five in the group. This is what the scriptures say. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all of the others but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like everybody nonsense. And so the 11 and those friends have a little groupthink experience and their faith trail begins with disbelief that Jesus is dead. He is not alive and therefore you got to give him a solid one. Or let me take you to Thomas because you know Thomas and you know the D word that we're gonna give to Thomas because we know Thomas as everybody. Doubting Thomas, you're doing really well on an Easter Sunday morning. Well done. Doubting Thomas. And Thomas was not there in the room when the women came to say that Jesus is dead, not dead, or Jesus is dead, he's not risen. Um, And his response to the rumor, it's a little disheartening. He said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So Thomas' faith trail begins with disbelief. He believes Jesus is dead, not alive, and you have to give him a solid one in his own personal journey. So then it begs the question, if the story of Jesus' resurrection Um, is difficult for you to understand that if you have been anywhere on this uh, faith trail from five and less, then you fit in very well. We're the very first followers of Christ. But you have to ask the question, what brought about the Easter change? I mean, how did they move from this place of disbelief to belief, how did they move from this place of fear for their lives and hiding to come out and risk proclaiming Jesus is not dead, he is alive? Quite simply, it is this. When Jesus is revealed and you receive him as the risen Christ, it changes everything in your life. It does for them. Let me walk through their stories again, starting with Mary Magdalene, who moves from that... um, Unbelievable, distressed unbelief to absolute belief. And if you remember, um, she thought Jesus was the gardener, but this is what the scripture tells us. Jesus said to her, Mary. I want you to notice my intonation there, okay? As a kid, do you ever have this moment when your mom knows you're not paying attention? Like my mom has done this several times, and she says, Joel. It's that kind of thing. There's an attitude almost in Jesus. Jesus said to her, Mary, come on. <laughs> she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbanai. Rabbanai. So when Jesus reveals himself and you receive it to be true, something happens, everything changes. And she goes from a solid one to a 10. And she runs back to the disciples and says out loud shouting, Jesus is not dead, he is alive. It's an instantaneous change for her when she's encountered the risen Christ and she receives it to be true. Or you take Cleopas. Um, when he goes from that place of just downcast unbelief to absolute belief, and when that transition happened, it was pronounced, because if you recall, they're on the Emmaus Road. Did you know that it's a seven-mile walk to the town of Emmaus from Jerusalem, and Jesus is walking with them? I'm just thinking, that had to be the coolest conversation in the world. Would you like to walk seven miles with Jesus down a path and just take in what that conversation would be about? They had that experience, and their hearts are warmed by this stranger. They don't know that it's Jesus, but he is a good guy, they can tell that. The conversation had to be just so stimulating and fascinating, they get to Emmaus, to the home of Cleopas, and Cleopas is so undone by the warmth of this individual, he says, would you like to come in, and hospitality is extended. Let's have a meal together. They go in together, and wow, this is what they encounter around the table. God does great things around the table. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight, and they asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while we talked, as he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And then they found the 11 and those assembled together saying, it is true, the Lord has risen. And so we find that the revealed Jesus is received by them in this journey, Cleopas and his friend, and they go tell the 11 and the others, it's true, Jesus is not dead, he is alive. Or I think of Cleopas moving into Peter and that story of that incredible denying unbelief that just crashed his own spirit to that place of absolute belief. And this is what we find in the encounter. This is one of my favorite verses in the scripture. But go, um, the angel says, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. This is why it's a favorite verse. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. Well, isn't Peter one of the disciples? So why is Peter set aside? He's probably the most well-known disciple. He said, go tell the disciples and Peter because it's revealing something about Jesus to all of us. He knows you, friends. He knew Peter and what he was going through. He knows you right now. He knows everything that you're going through in your life. He knows that Peter is feeling pronounced shame because he had denied the Lord He knows that Peter's thinking to himself, God will never want anything to do with me. I'll be forever an outsider, even with the friends that I traveled with for three years. And the angel says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Jesus wants to see Peter. And when Jesus reveals himself to Peter, Peter receives it to be true that Jesus is not dead, he is alive, and he moves from that five spot to that 10 spot when he was searching, and something beautiful happens. He proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he's not dead, that he's risen from the dead all around Asia Minor, going up into Europe. It would trickle across the pond, eventually to the United States of America, and one of the reasons we're here is because of Peter's proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm just saying, when you get to heaven, ask for a cup of tea with Peter, and have a conversation with him. And then you go to the 11, because that whole group, I mean, they go from this disillusioned disbelief to this absolute belief. And this is what the scripture tells us. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, when the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, peace be with you. When you're in a place of fear, that's a beautiful word. Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I mean, they had to be freaked out, didn't they? It's an overjoyed freaked outness is what they had to experience in that moment. And you find that when the revealed Jesus comes before them and they receive it to be true, everything changes and they move from this solid one to a solid 10 and they proclaim the gospel into homes and surrounding villages. And then of course it takes us to that incredible Thomas the Doubting Thomas that we have come to know so well. And uh, the word on Thomas is something. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. You now when you read the scripture, you have to try to interpret not just the word, but the tone. And I've heard many people speak about this, like Jesus was angry. Stop doubting and believe. I don't think that was the case at all. I think it was stop doubting and believe. It was communicated with compassion, but with confidence. And he replies, Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. When Jesus reveals himself and Thomas receives him, he moves from a solid one to a solid ten. And you know that Thomas goes on to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's believed that he brought the gospel into India and to those parts of Asia. Just extraordinary. So the presence and the power of Jesus Christ um, changes everything in our lives when we receive it to be true. It changes our are doubting places to believing places. When we're skeptical, we become miracle workers, the disciples did. We find that their fear is turned into courage and their sadness is turned into joy, so much so that the gospel just began to spread. Here they're in hiding and now it comes and it breaks forth and by the by, the end of 100 AD, there were 20,000 Christ followers. That's how quickly it spread. By the end of 300 AD, there were over 20 million Christ followers and today there are over 2.2 million 2 billion Christ followers that believe that Jesus Christ is not dead, he is alive. Missiologists call this fast movement of the gospel and church planting the Jesus sneeze. (sighs) It was a good sneeze. It was a sneeze of joy and a contagion that would take over the world, and I'm so grateful that it did. So what about you? Do you believe that Jesus Christ Died on that cross, and three days later rose from the dead. That God raised him from the dead, so to the end that he's alive today. And if so, did, when you came in, did you put a number up here on the faith trail of your own life, on the marquee of your life? Where are you? Where are you today? What number did you give yourself? And again, if you're that five and under, you would have been right there with those early disciples. But my invitation was take a step. And move forward with faith. So if you have been wanting it to be true but skeptical that it's true, move to being wanting it to be true and searching for it to be true. Or better still, move from a place of unbelief to a place of possibility. And from possibility to probability. And from probability to certainty. And from certainty, go to commitment and just say yes. Jesus Christ, I believe you are alive and not dead and I want to give to you my life and I want to be baptized in your name because Jesus called us to be baptized as a declaration that I will choose to live my life to glorify God through faith in Jesus Christ. That becomes my purpose to why I exist. And I pray that you've made that move. And if you haven't, you would consider even on this Easter day doing so. Perhaps you resonate most with that character of Cleopas who had hope that was withering. We find that his hope wasn't only withering, he had a hard time reviving his hope. And that may be the place you find yourself today, that the sad Ds or one of them might be hovering in your life as it did for Cleopas. Perhaps in relationship or work or finances or health, whatever it might be, you maybe are experiencing some disappointment or a hovering discouragement or disillusionment because you didn't think it would be this way. Or detachment with somebody that you want to feel connected to and you don't. Or despair or defeat. Or maybe you're experiencing some depression. Or somebody in your family is experiencing depression. Or a devastating reality in your life. Or maybe there's a disease you're facing. Or maybe death feels imminent. And you need hope. And where does that hope come from? It comes from the risen Christ. Uh, I have in my pocket this... uh, This is a toy Etch-a-Sketch. If you're over 40, you know what an Etch-a-Sketch is. (laughs) If you're under 40, those over 40, tell those who are under what an Etch-a-Sketch is. It was a great toy when we were growing up. Remember how this toy worked? You would write a picture on it or create a little picture on that, and then when you messed it up, you just flipped it upside down, you'd shake it, and you'd turn it over, and then you could start all over again. This is what happens when you encounter the revealed risen Christ and you receive him as Lord, Paul says, there is now no condemnation for those who belong in Jesus Christ. It's like, I got a clean slate. That's the power of the risen Christ. And it's a power you wanna have in your life's journey. I think about Matt's story. Um, When I first saw that video, I had something, as I reflected on that I thought of that I have never thought about in my whole life. That is, we're all accomplices to a murder. You ever thought about that? That is, we may not use a gun, but we had this weapon called sin. And it's sin that killed Jesus Christ, that put him on that cross. So we're all accomplices. And how do you move into that place where you you become an ambassador of the Lord, from being an accomplice to murder. Well, Paul makes it very clear. Confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you shall be saved. And friends, that's what we celebrate at Easter. The revealed presence of Jesus Christ, with a pronounced invitation, receive him as such, and he becomes alive in you, so you become alive, and hope is revived, and the dreaded D word, death, is no more. I'll take that any day. And I pray you will as well. Would you stand and let's pray together. Before I pray, I just um, quickly prompt your conscience because some of you came today and you have been on a trail of unbelief. And it has been my prayer with hundreds of others that you would sense the Spirit saying, come to the trail of belief. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to say yes to that. Join me and let's pray together. Father, for revealing your love in the person of Jesus who came to live in our backyard to show us what love looks like, to die for our sins and then not to stay dead but to rise again, how do we say thank you? Words are inadequate. We can offer you our lives because you are saving us from sin. You're saving us from death. You're saving us from a life of emptiness so that we could have a life of fullness. And so, Lord, I know and I have prayed throughout the course of this week that there's at least one person here that is gathered with us online at West Tonka, at Bush Lake, in the Woodside Room, or here gathered in our worship center in Chanhassen. There's at least one person who has been on a trail of unbelief and you have sensed the Spirit saying, come over to this trail of belief and everything will change. And if that's you, I encourage you to listen to the prompting of the Spirit on this Easter Sunday and offer these words quietly in your heart. Lord, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that God has raised you from the dead. Move me from this path of unbelief. I want to walk on the trail. Belief and experience the hope that revives me and the life that is everlasting. Lord Jesus, hear this prayer. Receive and bring into salvation many on this day, not just one, all around the world. Advance your good name and your fame. Jesus Christ is not dead. He is alive. Amen.